nigger lover, uh, black bastard. Your mother was a bitch. I mean, just anything that you can imagine, they -hmm. were literally hurling verbal bombs. Hello, this is your host, Marshall Fields, and welcome to Positive Communication Habits and Thought Process, or P-Chat-P for short. Here, we talk about real-life experiences and mindsets that help us navigate difficult conversations, even if we're just talking to ourselves. We can change the world by changing how we talk to it. Today, we are talking about walking the talk, but first, I have a question for you. Are you ready to walk down the two-way street of racism. It's going to get real. What type of real depends on you. But I promise you, this two-part podcast is full of lived experiences that are thought-provoking, where nuggets of wisdom are going to be dropped, and you will have opportunities for new perspectives. And that's thanks to my guest, Dr. W. David Hager. I call him David and friend. This guy is so humble that you would never know He has had appearances on CNN, WSNBC, National Public Radio, ABC Morning Show, CNN News, 2020, Nightline with Ted Koppel, 60 Minutes with Leslie Stahl, that he's given testimonies before Kentucky State Legislator and the United States Congress, and that he's won several awards, ranging from America's top obstetricians and gynecologists, community-based teaching award from UK, and has been rated as U.S. News and World Report top doctors. David, thank you so much for hanging out with me and spending some time. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. We're going to touch on some really cool things that exactly align with the mission of our podcast. So I appreciate you making some time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Marshall. Oh, it's my pleasure. If I were to ask you for the Reader's Digest version of your life, just kind of starting from where you grew up, how you grew up, and where you are now, what would you say? Well, uh, primarily just a simple man uh, born into a simple family and raised in a simple way in a simple life and uh, blessed by God to have had numerous opportunities. I think that's been the key for me is having different opportunities to do things. And fortunately, God has blessed those. But I was raised in Jessamine County, which is uh, just south of Lexington here in central Kentucky. And I had um, a great child rearing, wonderful parents and siblings. My college training was at Asbury University, was Asbury College now, Asbury University. And from there, I went to the uh, University of Kentucky uh, Medical School and uh, spent some time during my training at the University of Pennsylvania, which turned out to be um, very providential. All these steps were very providential in my life because one step would unturn another stone down the road. So I did my residency training at the University of Virginia, started there, and turns out that one of the individuals who was at the University of Virginia as a senior resident when I was a first year had trained personally in Germany with the company that made the original laparoscopic equipment called Stortz Company. I'm sorry for interrupting. What is laparoscopic? So laparoscopy is where we put a scope inside a body surface, for me, mostly in the abdomen, but we can do laparoscopy almost anywhere. And 
you put an instrument in that's lighted and magnified so that the original equipment, we were looking through the laparoscope itself. And then we went to video where we operated off the screens that were in the room. And then eventually we went to robotics, which is where I ended up doing robotic surgery and gynecology. And we're actually working off of a robotic system where I'm sitting at a console and moving all the instruments inside the abdomen. So um, this guy who had trained there trained me in laparoscopy. So I had the privilege of being early trained in doing laparoscopy. And the reason that was so important was after I finished my residency training, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had recruited me into the United States Public Health Service with a naval rank as lieutenant commander to initiate some of the very first surgical evaluation of pelvic infection called pelvic inflammatory disease. So we used laparoscopy to look inside and actually see the infection, whereas before everything had been done just by examination. So that turned out to be a real blessing. And then after I had left the CDC, a lot of my research began in the area of obstetric and gynecologic infections. I was able to become the president of the Infectious Diseases Society for Obstetrics and Gynecology, which is a international organization. And just kind of God would unfold one thing for me and it would lead to another blanket. And I came back to Lexington. I ran the residency training program for Baptist Hospital for the University of Kentucky for about 28 years and uh, was involved in residency training and research and teaching. And as I said, ended up after doing a little over 5,800 deliveries in obstetrics, doing I'm sorry, seven. I'm sorry. Did you say 5,800? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that pales in comparison to a lot of the guys that have done more deliveries. But And then um, almost 7,000 surgical procedures, primarily at the end doing uh, robotic surgery, which I really loved. So that's kind of a thumbnail sketch. And um, as I said, it's all because... God has opened one door and I've walked through that and there's been another door. Mm. Talking about doors, I think every day we have doors that open in front of us to walk through and have uh, difficult or challenging conversations. And in that conversation, it's always a way to give a part of yourself, a part of your heart, a part of your mind, a part of your spirit. And I want to touch on those three things. In the first one I want to touch on is just when you give your mind in a conversation, it can not always be easy. Sometimes there are some struggles. That's one of the reasons why I created my company, Positive Communication Habits and Thought Process, because I know there are a lot of people out there who are well-intending. They want to make a positive change in the world. But sometimes when it comes down to it and the rubber meets the road, it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly the right way to say. So, you know, a lot of people end up not saying anything, but you, my friend, you have been able to traverse a lot of difficult conversations. When I think about the fact that you did consulting and you did work with the CDC, I mean, that right there, especially in this day and age with COVID and everything going on, you've, you've probably had uh, to traverse some difficult waters when it comes to talking to people. Yeah, and it's really interesting, Marshall. My dad was an educator, and so he was always speaking. And my mom was a 
a vocalist, a soprano soloist. So she was always performing. And I just kind of had it in me that I enjoyed being speaking in front of a crowd. It, it never really bothered me that much. But at the CDC, we had very specific training on how to speak. I mean, they took it down to the brass tacks of you do this and this and this. You tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. And so <laughs> you're it, speaking to my uh, trainer heart right there. <laughs> and so it was a real good opportunity for me. And basically, I got the opportunity not only to speak around this country, but around the world. I mean, Ebola and loss of fever. And I was doing involved in infections. And that's the reason all my research has been in infectious disease. But just the opportunity to go to places and to speak, to see you know, really difficult situations, situations where hygiene wasn't the best and infection control wasn't the best and to be able to have an influence on that. And I was blessed far more than the people I was able to bless because of of what they taught me. Mm. But there's another side to it, because what you're talking about primarily are when you're going in from a position of being this outside source that comes in to help. But what about those times when what you have to say carries with it a certain level of controversy? How do you handle that? Yeah, I think one of the things that I I learned early on is when you go in as a quotes expert, you almost immediately turn a lot of people off. So I would always try to go into those situations with the idea that I'm here to help, but I'm also here to learn from you. Your boots on the ground. You know what's going on here. So help me understand what you're dealing with. What are your problems? What are the controversies that you're facing on a daily basis? Because the guys that would go in and say, look, you're going to do it this way and this way and this way, almost always got turned off by Mm -hmm. the people that they were trying to work with. So I had a really good mentor who guided me through that. He had had that experience on an international basis. And so I think the key thing is to be humble. The key thing is to be empathetic. And it's interesting, you and I come from a biblical background, but I was reading in Philippians 2 today, and that is to have the mind of a servant. You really want to try to serve and help rather than oversee and and be a overlord people. Mm, Beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I believe that having a, a servant's heart is crucial to live to your full potential in this world. And in that line, one of the assignments that I have is to help people communicate better. And specifically right now, my focus is when it comes to racism or topics of race and systemic racism. And those are some very, very hot topics and hard topics for people to talk about. And so I I do want to dig into some of your family history because you have been put in a, a unique perspective to have witnessed a man who is willing to do what they felt was right, regardless of what other people thought. And I think there's a huge story behind that. So if you wouldn't mind, let's talk about your father for a bit. Okay. I was really blessed. Wonderful parents. 
And my dad grew up as a farm boy and he pursued education because he desired to know more. My dad always implanted in, in all of us a desire not to just know facts, but to know why the facts. So it's not always just what, but why. And to understand in our recovery, men's recovery group that I run, we're always talking about root issues. My dad taught me that. Understand what's behind it. If somebody is an alcoholic, okay, David, why are they an alcoholic? If somebody's an abuser, why are they an abuser? And so that really came from my dad. And he uh, was educated. He ended up not only with a college degree, a seminary degree, he had a graduate degree from Columbia University. And then he had the real privilege of getting a graduate degree at the University of Chicago under Carl Rogers, client-centered therapy, who started client-centered therapy. And so my dad believed firmly in his heart. It wasn't just something he said, because I saw him live it out every day. He believed in equality. And this was in a difficult time in this country, you know, in the 50s and the early 60s, when a lot of people didn't believe that everybody deserved an equal chance and an equal opportunity for education. My dad firmly believed that. And it wasn't just black and white. It was the impoverished the people who had handicaps, he believed everybody deserved an opportunity to pursue an education and a better way of life for themselves. And so out of that, he made a decision after talking to a number of people that he wanted to lead the way for the educational system in Jessamine County to be integrated. At that time, it was a segregated system. And I can remember, Marshall, I probably was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that, sitting on my uncle's lap. And this was an uncle who in the military was on the Bataan Death March and was buried by the Japanese. And his hand was above the sand moving and the Seabees came in and dug him out and he survived. So that uncle, that strong uncle sitting on his lap in a gymnasium full of people who were heckling my father as he was announcing that the system was going to be integrated and the Board of Education had voted with him. It wasn't unanimous, but it voted to do that. Was this a gymnasium? Where was the gymnasium? In Nicholasville. So was it like Jessamine County High or... No, it wasn't. See, it wasn't Jessamine County High School yet. It was becoming that, but this was in the Nicholasville High School gym, and okay. then it would be it would become what's now West Jessamine High School. When you hear your father, anybody close to you, called names and racial epithets and just things that were thrown at him, it was frightening. And he pushed that through. It took a toll on him emotionally. I can remember seeing he and my mom kneeling beside their bed, praying and praying that God would give them the strength to endure that. And my mom was also a very strong woman. She was a little lady. She was about 5'2 and weighed probably 110, 112 pounds on her heaviest day. But she really supported my dad and what he was doing. She was raised in the North in Cleveland, Ohio, and he was raised down here. But 
he pushed that through and there it was not well received. It was great. It was difficult. But I guess it was difficult for me to understand the separation racially because I'd grown up playing ball. My best friend and I, we played ball with black kids all the time. I mean, we played baseball, we played basketball, we ran around together. And yeah, I mean, people took cheap shots at us as far as criticism. But to me, we were all the same. So it happened. My dad was responsible for that because he never made a difference. We never in our home said my black friend or my Asian friend. We just said my friend. And so I think that's an important thing. Even today, when we're describing, oh, I was on my black friend Marshall Marshall Fields podcast. See, I mean, why do we need to even bring that into the conversation? Yeah, I don't think we do. What's the purpose? So people say, well, it's descriptive. It tells. No, it doesn't. I want to know about the individual and that person. And so any rate, my dad was highly persecuted. Some guys in white robes came to our house when he was uh, leading a, a county meeting and tried to get in our home. And my I'll never forget my mom standing in the front door with her hands against the door, blocking their way. And we were little kids back in the hallway behind her and trembling because we didn't know what was going to happen. Fortunately, my my dad's father, my grandfather was the sheriff of the county and she had placed a phone call and they arrived kind of in the nick of time to disperse that mob from in front of our house. But I'm making it sound like, you know, we were persecuted with it. Our persecution was nothing compared to those who were going through it. The black girls and boys, men and women who endured those first days, those early days of integration and still are suffering. But I mean, they're the ones that should be on the show. They're the ones that deserve all the praise and credit because they endured and they battled. And I mean, we talked a lot and there was fear, fear for your life, fear that you wouldn't make it. But we did. We're on this side, but we still have so much more to do. When you were talking about some of the things that you remember hearing and seeing, like sitting on your uh, uncle's lap and hearing those negative things, do you remember some of the things that were being said in the gymnasium at your father when he was making the announcement about integration? Oh, yeah. They're probably not appropriate for this broadcast. Well, we try to keep it real. And just so you know, the purpose of this, or one of the purposes of this, is for folks to see someone who's obviously achieved a level of success in many different fields, but has also went through and seen firsthand some of the levels of difficulty, especially in the early battles. And I want people to be encouraged in the now when they think about some challenges that they have, maybe they heard something or maybe they said something that either was a cause of offense or a cause of negativity, and to have courage in that moment to speak up, to acknowledge, to seek understanding, to have empathy, because it's nothing like what it was then. But like you said, we still have work to do. But to hear someone who had courage In these situations, hopefully it will be a pathway to having courage in lesser situations, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I fully understand what you're saying, uh, but those words, you know, nigger lover, black bastard, your mother was a bitch. All of, I mean, just anything that you can imagine, they mm-hmm. were literally hurling verbal bombs. Uh, hate, and, fear, yeah, hate, yeah, fear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the whole idea was, just as you just said, Marshall, was to create an atmosphere of fear so that people would back down, so that my dad would back down and the board behind him would back down. I don't like to tell this part of the story, but I've written about it. And my dad met with the ministerial association for the whole county and all of the ministers and told them beforehand, this is what's going to happen. This is why we need to do this. And my dad, a strong believer, I believe this is the way that God wants us to proceed after a lot of prayer. And they voiced their support. But in that gymnasium that night, there were only three pastors who showed up. And I can remember that feeling at that time. Where are they? Where's the support? Where's the God-fearing support? Where are the Bible-believing support? Are we out here on our own? And I think often as Christians, we look for support from our fellow believers. But I've often found in my walk, uh, Marshall, I don't know about you, that some of my strongest supporters have come from individuals who don't proclaim their faith that much, but they strongly support what you're trying to do. Mm. Yes, Um, I've definitely found that to be true. We live in a world that we love to have thoughts that are binary or that separate either up, down, left, right, good, bad. I'm working on a book right now on the way miracles happen. As I've worked through that, the whole purpose of that book is that so many opportunities in life happen on the side, happen when we have to take a detour. We're so accustomed to setting our minds toward a destination and trying to get to that destination to achieve success and so forth. And we fail to see the needs on the side. And you were talking about, you know, memories. I remember my dad stopping to pick up a guy who was drunk walking on the side of the road with us in the car. I mean, I wouldn't do that. You know, I wouldn't pick up a guy who was drunk and put him into my car with my children there. But my dad believed that here was a guy in need and I've got something I can offer him and I'm going to help him. I remember him loading a guy that was wheeling along in a wheelchair. We had a truck putting his wheelchair in the back of the truck and lifting him into the cab of the truck to take him home. So it's nothing to do with me. That's just what I've been blessed with. I've seen this example and what we were talking about before. If you say things, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, but you don't live it out, then you really defeat your whole purpose. At a very young age, I grew up in the church. Getting to see the way in which what people present in public differs from what they present in private, there was a period of time to where it caused a riff. You know, some people would call it church hurt or whatever, to where you see behind the veil and you're like, these really aren't my kind of people. 
And I think we get to experience that in many different walks of life. You know, what people say to the public or in the public eye may not match the character or integrity of who they really are. And some things that I've encountered in my walk as I am trying to work on communication as it pertains to using communication to overcome racism, there have been many times where I've met with business leaders and and we have talked about doing things. But at the end of the day, the fear of the risk, what it might be or what people might think or, oh, this will be taken the wrong way or whatnot. And so it leads to inaction or it leads to watering down the solution so much so that people will feel comfortable. But the solution becomes so watered down that it actually is not effective. It's that thing of, you know, we stand by this. We've got a mission statement and we will not tolerate discrimination. But yeah, you know, I don't really want to cause any rifts or ripples and getting over that feeling of wanting to hold on to the current level of comfort. I think that is so crucial. But then there are peace seekers and then there are peace keepers. You can keep the peace during a time of injustice unless you feel no justice, no peace. And that, my friends, is a good note to leave you on. And we will continue this conversation in our next episode. Thank you, David. Thanks, Marshall. Thank you, man. In our next episode, you'll get to hear part two as David and I unpack what it looks like to walk the talk. If you like this episode and if you like PChatP, you can find and subscribe on all major podcast platforms. You can support us at pchatp.com. We hope you join us in changing the world by changing how we talk to it. This episode was directed and produced by Marshall Fields with music and audio engineering by Chris Brueggemann.